Why would they leave Miata? Shouldn't he do that? He stabs it back to Dak Prescott. Oh, he throws over the middle to Turpin. He gets hammered down by Jimmy Ward. The game is over. What a way to end it. The 49ers are on their way to Philadelphia. Alex Smith, we just watched the end of this Cowboys-Niners game. And I need to understand the end of this Cowboys-Niners game. Did you ever take a snap from a running back behind a one-man O-line? As soon as I saw them line up in this formation, it just brought up so many, like, funny memories. Because every team, Pablo, goes over this situation. You know, like, you always practice these end-of-game scenarios. And a lot of times you do them on the walkthrough the day before the game. You kind of... You don't actually run plays. You just kind of like, hey, if we get in this crazy scenario, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and I've been a part of some of these where you're like, like we're going to take out all the linemen, right? And we're basically going to put in like all our skilled guys at the O-line because, <laughs> you know, if it turns into the, the you know, the pitchy-pitchy thing, we we got we want these playmakers out there. Right. And it's it's a joke. Like, it's a show. Even if, even if, even if, <laughs> it sounds, I gotta say, that's the most stoned football play I have ever heard. And now seen, actually. Even in walkthrough, they're a debacle, right? So, like, you can't even execute it in a walkthrough. And th- thankfully, I've never been asked to actually run one of those in an end-of-game scenario, like, in front of, a lo- like, millions of people. And poor Zeke. I mean, he's the playing center. He's, first of all, I, I gotta give him, he, he it was a great snap. Right on the money. That's mm. a lot. That's a lot of eyeballs yep. watching you. But he got absolutely <laughs> trucked. Like, just ran over, protecting his QB. But the whole play, like, unbelievable. You draw this up in the dirt, and it just, uh, they obviously, in hindsight, they would have been uh, better off doing any other thing besides that. The best play I'd ever been a part of in this situation was finally in Kansas City. We decided, thankfully, we didn't put our running back at center, but we. We decided to put a bunch of big tight ends out at receiver along with only Tyreek. And we ran all the big tight ends down as lead blockers. (laughs) And I basically, we, we, I threw a little dump pass to Tyreek right behind him and it worked. They got six Cowboys. They got seven Cowboys from the 10 yard line back from between the 10 and the end zone. Alex needs to watch there it is to Hill. The whole brigade around him. Hill gets around Stanley. Look at Hill go! Impossible! Touchdown, Kansas City! How did they do that? Wait, 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 wait. What you're saying is that the worst and best version of this both came at the expense of the Dallas Cowboys. That is what we are now safely establishing here on this podcast. I mean, if you're considering that one the worst, it was pretty bad. Like I said, you walked through it jokingly a handful of times a year and you're expected to, you know, here, do it with your playoff hopes on the line against the best defense in football. And that's what, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. A little fodder at the end of the game, uh, just right in Jerry Jones's eye, you know, to, to, for the off season. The NFL playoffs are a cold and truly unforgiving mistress. Like one week, you're having the best game of your life. The next, you're trying to save your season by attempting a trick play for the first time that doesn't even make any sense. Or you're just getting blown out, maybe. 
But either way, you are getting humiliated in front of tens of millions of people. And so today, we ask our friend Alex Smith, a quarterback who has been there before, to tell us what impressed him during the divisional round this weekend and how the four teams left standing managed to make it this far. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, January 23rd. And this is ESPN Daily. I mean, look, the game that we just watched, right? This was on the one hand, like a storied rivalry, of course. Cowboys Niners. This is from our childhoods now. Like this is something that involved the two best defenses, arguably in football, by the way. And, And to that, we did get... We did get it as advertised. This was a defensive battle. Um, each team scored exactly one touchdown. The Niners hang on to win 19 to 12. And so what was the difference to you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you, you hit on a lot of great points. Like two, two of the better D-lines in football, defensive fronts, two of the better defenses, period, in football. And, I, and I'll tell you, in the first half, I mean, I, I thought the Dallas D-line kind of won the first half. Yeah. The Niners had this great run game. They're incredibly balanced on offense. They're, they have a great O-line to their credit and really couldn't do anything in the first half. Like They, they, had a, they struggled to protect Purdy. Um, they couldn't run the ball at all. And I think at halftime, you know, certainly some question marks there for the Niners. I think in the second half, the big difference was just the depth of this Niner team. Too many playmakers, too much depth, and finally was just too much for this Dallas team. They, they, they really, I think, made some great adjustments. They really got to run in the ball in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. Ended up going for over 100 yards, almost the bulk of it in the second half. The great combination of Elijah Mitchell off of Christian McCaffrey, kind of back and forth. Mm. And finally got, in, got into a big rhythm and started to lean on, on this Dallas defense. And, and the touchdown drive that they put away at the end of the third quarter, the 10-play 91-yard drive down the field that, that ate up a ton of clock, really kind of finally opened this game up. And on the counter of that, Dallas didn't have any depth. They lost Tony Pollard to a high ankle sprain. He was out the entire second half. And besides C.D. Lamb, they, they didn't have another guy that, that, that really even no. showed up to make plays on no. offense. Kittle was a huge force on the receiving end in the second half. He was kind of the difference maker, especially on that, that big touchdown drive. Oh, that, that pass from Brock Purdy, who was, who was by the way, Pretty shaky, like the most rookie seventh roundery he has been in this entire run, this undefeated run still, um, until he finds George Kittle on a catch that if you missed it, if you missed this game, how would you describe the physics of it? Oh, it's a great play. And, and, and I think certainly, you know, from a statistical standpoint, Brock Purdy obviously was destined to come back down to earth a little bit, you know, given his performance last week. Yeah, he had but to. But this play, when he... The, the dimension he's kind of added to this offense is his ability to prolong plays. He has a great knack. He has a great feel for moving around in the pocket and, and escaping pressure. And on this one, he escapes to his left, kind of back door running out, which as a right-handed quarterback is not always really fluid. And, you know, the big no-no decides to set up and heaves a ball down the field, back across the middle of the field, and hits this, you know, a slanting George Kittle, which... Again, it's like QB no-no number one is like <laughs> throw it late back across the middle of the field. Right. And he's hitting this streaking Kittle, which like, you know, when Kittle gets a full head of steam, he can really roll. And this ball is like 
I, it's just too far out of reach. So, I mean, Kittle's only option is to throw out his right arm, his paw, and try to knock this down. Going to roll Purdy the opposite way, going left. Purdy time, going to throw back right, and it is juggled, and George Kittle makes the catch to midfield. Whoa! What a catch by George Kittle. Bobbled it a couple of times, but was able to reel it in. And he somehow snatches this ball uh, for the completion before he goes down, and it really obviously was a big play. One of the few big plays we saw on offense from the entire day. Oh, yeah. No, he bounces it off his helmet. I mean, it, it's it's a ridiculous thing. Avoids narrowly getting hit by the train that was uh, the defenders in question. But, you know, just because George Kittle had seemed like almost an afterthought in this run, because we were talking a lot, you know, Christian McCaffrey, this brand new acquisition who's been tremendous for them. Talking, of course, about... Debo Samuel, who who is back and healthy. But Kittle, you know, five catches, 95 yards, that 30-yarder for that only touchdown that we just described. What does he mean to this offense? Well, obviously, I mean, I think he's like Debo in the sense that he has such a personality that it's contagious. And I think this team feeds off these two guys. This is kind of what I'm talking about with the depth. That the, like, again, you don't know whose day it's going to be. Like, Debo kind of had a quiet day. Brandon, you kind of had a quiet day. Well, it was, it was, it was Kittle today and they just too many playmakers, you know, he had a huge defensive holding call and a defender tackled him earlier in the game on a key third down. And he's the only guy that like mocks that, right? Like he gets up and mocks the defender. Oh yeah. No, he's a wrestling heel. You need some guys like that. Like it's, it's good. It's good for all those old linemen, you know, like to, to have to play with an edge and to come back in the huddle and those guys getting, getting each other jacked up. Um, you know, but for me to go back to Purdy real quick, like, yeah. This D-line was after him, the Dallas D-line, all first half. And, you know, he's running oh, around. Dude, and Micah certainly- Parsons, I believe, like one-handedly. <laughs> was it Mike McGlinchey? Yes. Who he just like- Just lifted off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, certainly didn't get in a great rhythm in the first half. And I think it's hard to stay patient uh, for a young quarterbacks a lot of times. And, and a lot of credit to Brock that he did that. And then I thought in the second half, you know, one of the hardest things to do as a young QB, I think, is throwing the ball over the middle of the field. Um, it's easy to throw the ball outside the numbers when you have a one-on-one, right? Like that's, you've been doing that since high school. But like layering the ball over the middle, um, you know, with, with some of these NFL defenses and playmakers is is really, I think, a, a kind of next level. And even to, for Kyle Shanahan to, to have that kind of confidence in him, you saw it on the their last offensive possession right before the two-minute warning. First and 10, the whole world thinks they're going to run it to make Dallas burn one of their timeouts. And what do they do? They, they open it up and throw it over the middle of the field to Kittle uh, for a big gain. And so I think, it, again, it just says a lot about, uh, I, I think this young QB, um, and again, I'm probably his worst statistical day. Yeah. But listen, he didn't make the mistake that lost the game. Well, look, talking about statistical underperformances does bring us to Dak, who you just mentioned, because last week, Alex, we watched Dak Prescott have the game of his life. Five touchdowns against the Bucks in a big blowout. And in this one, he has 206 yards, two picks, should have had at least another that probably should have been a pick six based on just where the chess pieces were on the field. I mean, what did the Niners defense do to him so successfully such that he looked, he looked, yeah, like the opposite version of the playoff version we just saw? It starts with this defensive line, the Niners D-line. I mean... Um, they have one of the best pass rush win rates in all of the NFL, like as a unit. And they just like, I mean, it's, it's, it's relentless. Like it's every play it's relentless. 
And that clock in your head just gets ratcheted up. You know it all week, right? You've been watching it on film. You know they're a good D-line. And then you're playing them, and it, you know, they're getting home. They're hitting you. They're pestering you. Uh, you can't get into a rhythm. And that, that clock, I think, just gets quicker and quicker and quicker in your head. And then with that, on the flip side, listen, this, this Niners back-end unit, the linebackers and, and secondary, they, they know they have a good D-line, right? And they're ready. They're jumpy. You know, they're, they're, they're sitting on stuff. You saw it with the first pick, just, just sitting on a comeback. You know, in fact, jumping it. He looked, that DB looked like the receiver. I don't want, like, I had to rewind it. Yes. Like, what, what happened here? He like, you know, it looked, <laughs> it just didn't make sense. And you well, saw some it almost. Of these line, I mean, gosh, Fred Warner looks like he could play receiver. Yeah. I mean, truly, it's, it's crazy what he, he does. You saw it even with that last almost near pick six you're talking about where the linebacker almost runs the route for the tight end, right? Yes. On, the, on the little quick out. And Dallas only really took the ball downfield a couple times. I mean, they hit the one to C.D. Lamb in the second half. But, like, other than that, they never got San Francisco off of them. And I almost felt bad for Dak, right? Like, when you're in that situation and it's like, where do you go with the football? Uh, it's tough. It's tough sledding. And as good as last week looked, you know, uh, you know, this week obviously wasn't the case. And, 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 and certainly a reflection, I think, of this. You're playing the best defense in football. And uh, this is what that's going to look like. We move on to the team that the Niners are going to play in the NFC Championship game. We move on to the Eagles beating the Giants. And this one was boring, okay? We can be very upfront about this, I think, Alex. You're nodding. Um, this was a 38-7 to blowout. So the thing I wanted to ask you about was the thing that was impressive because they made it so boring, right? And I want to start with the offensive line of the Eagles. All of these questions about Jalen Hurts being heard, we'll get to those. But the protection that he had, what do you think it's like as a quarterback, having played this position, to be behind an O-line that is like the one the Eagles have? It's incredibly nice in the sense that you know their only way to get home is to pressure you, right? Like to actually bring extra defenders. Like they got to bring safeties or they got to bring linebackers. And, you know, and a lot of times in those situations, you're kind of licking your chops, Pablo. Like you're like, well, here they come. Because they're kind of gambling and roll the dice. So all of a sudden it really allows for like big play potential. If you can counter it, right? Like if you're ready for it and the counter, if you throw the hot throw or you make the protection adjustment and take the shot, like you can really, that's where like big plays are to be had. And you also know, like, again, if they're going to rush four, like to just play in the timing that they have, like if you like, as we've watched Jalen hurts this year, like there's a guy that plays in with great timing. Like he has that comfort with this offensive line in the sense that like, he can go through his natural progression and get the ball out, you know, one to two to three, and rarely is moved off the spot. And then they also have the luxury that when that does happen occasionally, oh, they got this gifted runner at the quarterback position who all of a sudden can, you know, not only make plays with his feet uh, and extend plays, but obviously uh, beat you with his arm as well. So, like, it, it's it's hard. I mean, it's the reason they were one of the best teams of football, to have – you know, the three-headed monster running back that they did with, you know, Sanders and Gainwell and Scott. And like, oh, yeah, we traded for A.J. Brown, too. And, oh, we also have this guy named Devontae Smith. And Dallas Goddard's one of the best tight ends. Like, like this this roster is just absurd, you know. And, and again, you know, you get to this point, everybody's really good, right? Like, these are all amazing football teams on a huge stage. And you just don't get that lopsided of victories. And I think it really is a testament. The Giants had a great year, but like Philly's just that much better. It was varsity JV, man. It was varsity JV. It was, it was. And 
uh, I think that like a credit to the Eagles and, and everybody, you know, Howie Roseman and putting together and Nick Sirianni coaching them and this coaching staff, but like, uh, they certainly, I think have separated themselves and pumped, pumped for this matchup looking forward. Cause again, the Niners kind of play a similar brand of football and, and have a great roster themselves. And, and, uh, it's going to be kind of power versus power. And, uh, again, fun, fun to see next Sunday. But in terms of the collective unit, which, by the way, brought back Lane Johnson. That yep. was a question. Is he going to play? He did. was great. Yep. Um, how, this dominance well, yeah. seems rare, it, I guess, is. is my point. It is. it is. It's incredibly rare. And, and again, I'm struggling to, like, you know, to, to do them justice. But they, you just mentioned one of the names, like Lane Johnson. Like, I don't think people realize what Lane Johnson is about. Like, it, when you go to the Pro Bowl, every tackle there is a left tackle. Like they're all left tackles, right? Because they're like, that's the, the, the position of prominence, right? Like, and there's actually yes. like, they have to do like paper, rock, scissors. They're like, who's going to play right tackle? Cause none of them have done it since like their rookie year. There's yeah, it's one insulting to not be asked to guard the blind side. In, in that whole group, there's one right tackle. He's the only one. And I think he's the only right tackle to go to pro bowls in the last like 15, 20 years. And it's Lane Johnson. Cause he's that good. Like he's a guy that like every other team, he would be the foundational left tackle. Like that he's, he's, mm. so to have two guys this good, it's, there's no other team in football that can boast anything even close. Their left tackle, Jordan Mailata, is like this freak of nature in his own right, rugby product <laughs> yeah, turn, like mountain eight. of a man that's like this <laughs> incredibly athletic and agile. Um, and again, anchored obviously by uh, the best center in football who's been doing it a long time. And he had a couple highlight pancakes as well oh my. Uh, for all of yeah, America. His own one-hander. Yes. And then at the helm of it, this team is different. We, I mean, I know we love talking about QBs, but Jalen Hurts it, it makes this team different and this run game different. Um, and he's really, I think he, he's, he's so fitting because he's such an extension. Like his, everything that he's about, his toughness and physicality and like the way he approaches game and I think just life is like so refreshing and and old school and this is a guy man he makes a decision almost on every play Pablo like literally they had 44 rush attempts uh, uh, the vast majority of them Jalen Hurts is making a decision he's reading somebody he's making a decision mm. he's reading a linebacker defensive end like they read somebody on almost every single play so this guy's making decisions 60, 70 times a game that they're trusting him to do the right thing. And, and um, he put on a clinic on Saturday. I, I, everything that he stands for, again, to like just go to his demeanor. If you listen to this guy in post-game press conferences, you just like take in what he's saying. He sounds like a 70-year-old guru. Like he, he's, so, uh, he's so wise and mature for his young age. And you think about everything that he's been through in his career. I mean, this is a guy that's played a lot of football. I mean, I think he won a national championship or played in a national championship as a freshman. You know, obviously had the QB battle there for a few years with Tua, yep. transfers to Oklahoma. Like, this is a guy that's been yes, through a lot. one and lost jobs yeah. in very high-profile scenarios. Been through a lot, and I think says a lot that, that uh, kind of unwavering in his approach, like relentless in his approach to, like, the process of just getting better, right? Like, every day, like, he enjoys it. I, I want to frame this as we look ahead now, yep. right? Like the fact that the Eagles get the Niners on Sunday and the Eagles have this D line in its own right that needs to be reckoned with. Like, well, yeah, what are you, what are you processing as you consider like the trenches 
in this uh, championship yeah, game. Yeah, they're unique in the sense they had five sacks against Daniel Jones. They put them for 75 on an 18-game span. That is the most in an 18-game span since the 85 Bears, Pablo. Like, pretty <laughs> good company. I think it's the third most all-time in that span. And mm. they just, like, platoon their defensive line. Like, I mean, Hassan Reddick had two. Josh Sweat played great. I think he had one and a half. Brandon Graham, Jordan Davis, Javon Hargrave, oh, Robert Quinn they traded for. Like, they got, like, eight guys. They just literally, it's like, it's like hockey shifts. Again, I don't, I don't think many rosters have that kind of depth, and it's going to be a big matchup. No. I think if there's one vulnerability, uh, it's been running directly at this defensive line, and certainly that's a, a strength of the 49ers, and we'll see if they can do that, um, is potentially yeah. kind of go right at them. Uh, it'll be big that they do have Jordan Davis back, the big, you know, speaking of mountain of a man from Georgia that plays, D, you know, D-tackle, and certainly to have him in there and to stop the, the Eagles, run. Yep. To stop the run will be big, but... Uh, uh, again, this this NFC matchup is is old school. It is it, the strength of these teams is up front on both sides of the ball, and the st- the brand of football that they play, I think, will make uh, for great TV to be able to kind of see the difference of, of of conferences a little bit as we get to the championship level here. Yeah, it sounds violent. <laughs> yeah, it's going <laughs> it's to be unbelievably intense. It's part of the identity of these teams and who they are, and so to see them go head to head, again, I, I can't wait to see it. All right, Alex, you mentioned the AFC. After the break, we get to everything else that happened on this divisional round weekend. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So this was the game, Bengals-Bills in Buffalo, that everybody had been looking forward to, certainly for weeks now. This was obviously the game. Then Week 17 got canceled because of DeMar Hamlin's injury. Everybody knows that story now. But this was also now, on the record, the first time Josh Allen and Joe Burrow dueled. And it was not particularly close in that regard. Uh, This was a 27-10 to win for Cincinnati, Alex. Um, This was a game that didn't really feel in doubt. I mean, both play to play and also big picture. Were you surprised by how easy this one looked for Cincinnati? Yeah, I mean, surprise is an understatement. Like, you know, as I've gotten into my, <laughs> you know, my new job of being a prognosticator, I mean, this one got me. I just, I, I got to say, and it's not the fact that the Bengals won, it's how they won. You know, huge question marks for this Bengals offensive line. Like, they struggled, struggled to protect Joe Burrow yeah. last week in the second half of that Ravens game, right? Like, three out of their five guys up front are out. Joe Burrow had no time. I really thought, like, man, he doesn't have a chance. Like, it's just going to be too much. He's going to Buffalo. In the snow. Yeah. Tough place to play. I mean, Orchard Park, like, they have a great home field advantage. It's snowing pregame. I'm just, like, everything to me said, like, it's just too much. Like, Buffalo's too much. They're too physical. They're just going to take this game over, right? Like, 
I couldn't, I couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, I couldn't have been more wrong flat out. Like the Bengals scored on their two opening possessions. It was 14-0 like that. They scored on three out of their first four and like never looked back. It was like wire to wire victory. And not only like, was it not that close on the scoreboard? That's what I mean. Like just like the eyeball test. Like when you watched, like Buffalo got pushed around all day. Like they got pushed around. Like Cincinnati was like the most physical team. Like they hear they got two backup tackles playing. Like they ran the ball like right down Buffalo's throw. And like, I kept watching and I'm like, like when's Buffalo going to wake up? Like, when are they going to wake up? Like, and I kept thinking it and like all of a sudden <laughs> you're in the fourth quarter, they're down 17 and you're like, it's too late. Like right. it, it's, I don't even care if they wake up now. Like it doesn't matter. Like, and I mean, it just, uh, I, I a big, big time performance by the Cincinnati Bengals to go out physical to Buffalo Bills at home with three backup offensive linemen. How did that, the, the linemen thing though, this is, this is the reason why your prognostication um, really made sense, right? It was simply because they were missing three starters on the O-line. They were down a fourth for portions of this game. Incidentally, the Bengals were, and it just didn't seem to matter at all. Like, if you told me that and I didn't know that, it would have been shocking based on the level of dominance that they were displaying. So yeah. what was it? Why, why did it not matter at all? I thought it was a great adjustment uh, by Zach Taylor, the head coach and play caller. Like, backup linemen are, I mean, these guys are, like, obviously these are big, 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 strong dudes and they're, like, you know, they've played. And, but there is a mental thing, like, if they'd have gone out there and asked these two tackles to pass block, like off the bat, like in the snow, go protect Joe Burrow. And we're just going to live and die, like throwing the football. Like that's a, that's a tall task. These guys don't have a ton of confidence playing on the edge. Like they're, again, it's a big stage, but like, I, I think they really got him going with this run game. Like he, Zach Taylor early to his credit. And this is something that Cincinnati doesn't really feature a lot, but like today they kind of totally morphed. Like they had, they had 34 rushes for 172 yards against one of the best defenses in football. And they got these guys going up front. They let them be aggressive, right? Let, got them downhill. Cause like when you call a run play, it's a completely different mindset. Like you're the one coming off downhill. Like you get to be aggressive. You're the one making movement. Like, like you set the tone, like pass blocking. Like literally think about it. You're retreating and you're retreating for as long as you can before the quarterback throws the ball. Like it's just such a, flip in the mindset like you're backing up you're 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 passive you're on your heels you're like trying to like you know hear this best biggest baddest dudes running at you trying to juke you or run you over and you're trying to like figure it all out on like it's just such a different mindset yes yeah, so you're playing defense yeah and so i think again to really lean heavily on the run game uh to to get these guys confidence going it just, it was a nice adjustment. I, we haven't seen that out of, out of Cincinnati. And, and again, I think hats off to them. And Joe Burrow too, Matt played, I thought played unbelievable. Yeah. What did you see? When he had to move, he moved. When he had to get the ball out quick, he got it out quick. Like he just seemed to have, he, he had such a good grip on the situation and moment of the game. And like every play just seemed to make the right decision. You know, like um, he never let, this defense get any kind of momentum. He never let this D line get any kind of momentum going. I mean, he said it all week. He said it, you know, I never <laughs> feel like an underdog, you know? And, and it's funny, like you hear this talk and like, sometimes like, oh, it's just talk. 
Like I, I'm not sure with Joe Burrow, man. I think this guy really like. I think it's. I think it's kind of who he is. And uh, I couldn't help but love the post game uh, swag. He always from has Joe a Burrow. line. He's always ready, man. He talked about it yesterday. Just that chip on your shoulder. Everyone talking about a neutral AFC Championship game. Not even thinking about you guys. How much did that motivate you coming into this? You better send those refunds. <laughs> the NFL better send those refunds, Pablo. That is Neutral for the Atlanta, the Atlanta uh, AFC Championship game that the NFL was already selling tickets to. And it's funny, you heard that all week, and I never thought twice of it. Ah, sure, but like obviously it pissed Joe and the Bengals off, and uh, they wanted to let everybody know about it. And uh, they played like it. They played like the angry team today. Yeah. Uh, the Burrow side of things, you've interviewed him one-on-one. We've talked to you about him on this show. But watching him today... You know, look, it feels unfair to anybody to compare him to Tom Brady. But when you talk about, like, superpowers in this league, right? Like, processing, pre-snap reading. How do you explain that for uh, non-quarterbacks? Like, what actually is going on in his brain that makes him special that you saw today? Well, it's a couple things. Like, you're putting your plan together all week. Right, Pablo? Like, so you're like putting together your plan. So he's digesting all this information, right? All week and prepping. And, but certainly once you get out there on the field, you got to let your eyes, right? Like work. Like you're, you're taking in all this information. You're the one out there with the ball in your hand. The bullets are flying. You're making decisions uh, at fractions of a second. And so I just think in those situations, unique people, it can slow down for them, right? Like they can process that information and the gravity an environment of the situation almost gives them greater focus. And uh, and certainly I think Joe has it. The contrast between Burrow and Allen, right? Like these are two excellent quarterbacks. They will be playing in big games for a long time. We all presume this. But I was struck by how different they are. And Burrow is, as you described, he is this highly targeted assassin who is always cool under pressure. Josh Allen today... Looked like what to you, Alex? What what went wrong for the Bills offense through the lens of their quarterback? Yeah, for him, it was like the opposite. Like he just, there were a good chunk of times when he like held the ball a second too long. Like, you know, you could see the rush coming and you're like, get it out, get it. And he like, he, he, he doesn't. He holds onto it a tick too long. And then it's like, it's getting hit or it's deflected. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times that happened today. Deflections or he held, like it just, he couldn't, couldn't quite find his rhythm. But on the other hand, I think the thing that just jumped out for me was like, yeah, how one dimensional they seemed like here we are in a snow game in, in, in we're getting into mid late January. Like, like they, they had no run game. Like where was their physicality? Like where was their ability to take advantage of this home field? And like, they didn't Cincinnati did like they, like it, it, it just, that's what was baffling to me. And I think as we all, saw this, we, we definitely thought it was going to be the other way around. It was unsettling to feel through the screen how relatively sluggish it all looked. And it seemed like it looked that way to you. And I'm just wondering, okay, then who do we blame for that? <laughs> right? Like, why? Why? how could that possibly be the case? Whose fault is it? Um, if that is, in fact, a huge difference between these two teams. Oh, it's collective. It's the, it's the coaching staff. It's every leader on that team. Um, I mean, this is a team that waited a year, right? Like last year's divisional round game against the Chiefs, one of the greatest 
playoff games ever played. Yep. Uh, inspired a rule change, right? Because we had to watch Josh Allen not get another possession in overtime against the Chiefs. They had to wait an entire calendar year for this next opportunity. Um, and here it was. They had a home game. Um, first time going against the Bengals or Joe Burrow, you know, in that matchup. And yeah, I mean, it was it was a little passionless, you know, and and from 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 watching, and not that they weren't, I don't want to, you of know, course. obviously they were playing hard. Like, I'm not questioning that, but like, um, yeah, it was just stunning. It was stunning. Not, you know, it just seemed like maybe I, you know, necessarily prepared for it or, you know, and it's one of these things too. Sometimes you're hearing all week about this, you know, terrible Bengals offensive line and they're thinking it's going to be a cakewalk. And obviously it, it, you know, it's not. And uh, certainly they're, you're going to have a you know long off season to, to, to think about this one again, right? Because like that's the that's the reality. As good as they've been all year, they've been amazing. The Buffalo Bills are like one of the best teams in football, top to bottom. Yes, um, coaching staff, roster, like everything you want to talk about. And and in this scenario of single elimination, like they weren't good enough today, and they got to wait again. Now they're gonna have to wait all off season before they get back in camp, and then again to try to work and put all that time and effort in to get back to potentially getting back to this like same opportunity next year. Right. And you do realize I like, obviously is the roster turnover and contract situations and guys getting older, like your window is not forever. Right. And and this is a team that's in their window right now. Um, and, and you don't know how long it's going to last and stay open. Um, and, and, and I think we'd all say that, Going out the divisional round in the last two years, as good as this team is, is is certainly. Uh, oh, it's I, disappointing. I think, uh, it has to be. Has to be. It's up to yeah. It is. It is disappointing. But hold on. After the break, we go inside your brain because, of course, we're talking about Patrick Mahomes. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, Alex, the number one thing <laughs> that the Chiefs did not want to happen 
happened in the first quarter of this game. This was the second drive of this game. This was Patrick Mahomes going down with what has since been diagnosed with a high ankle sprain. And Mahomes throws it late on the first and 10 play for the Chiefs at the 49 of the Jaguars. Passes complete to the 45 to Blake Bell. And now Mahomes is hurt. Mahomes is hurt after a gain of four yards. He's holding his right knee. He got hit hard on this play. But as you're watching this play against the Jaguars in Kansas City, what are you thinking? This was their only chance. This is the Jaguars' only chance. And I think that entire stadium and everybody watching kind of thought the same thing. We all took a gasp and like the juggernaut that is the Kansas City Chiefs, all of a sudden it was like, oh no, um, you know, because it, it was bad there for a second, right? Like, I mean, he couldn't even get away from center. He couldn't turn a hand a ball off. This this early in the game, you know, it was 7-0, and you're like, this just changes everything. This changes everything. Oh, but but in comes Chad Henney. <laughs> and uh, Chad Henney, just so people understand this fully, had zero completions this season. <laughs> and what he proceeds to do, Alex, is what? I think he set a record. I think the longest drive in Kansas City playoff history is now owned by Chad Henney. 10-7 Kansas City, four minutes to go in the second quarter. McKinnon coming on sprint action. Now they throw it near side, Kelsey's got it! Touchdown! Kansas City sprinting inside the near front pylon, and Chad Henney leads a 98-yard Chiefs touchdown drive. It's friggin' awesome. <laughs> that drive, I honestly think single-handedly won the game. They get the ball in there too. Of course, Andy Reid calls a completion play, first play. Completion, get your guy going. You know, get him going. Yep. You've, you've prophesied this on the show before. And by the way, it is a 7-7 tie game right now as this is all unfolding. Yeah. And Jacksonville's only hope is to kind of go blow for blow. Like, they, like, that's keep this within one score, and maybe in the fourth quarter, we, 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 something crazy happens and we find a way to try to win this game. But it is really matching this Kansas City, right? Like Jacksonville is, is, is really talented on offense and it really is kind of matching this. And they do. They get a great kick return and they go down and score immediately. So now it's 7-7. Seven, seven. Chad Henney, yep, on the two and, uh, you know, immediately gets a completion. I think get him, get him comfortable, get him feeling good. Again, He's almost the perfect backup for him, too, though, because, like, Chad Eddie, this is his 15th year. He's played a lot of football early on in his, in his career, a lot of football. He's been there now, I think, five years, five-plus years with Kansas City, so he knows the offense. He's dialed in. Mm. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes is in a cussing match with the head trainer and Andy Reid on the sideline. He was talking to Andy Reid and the athletic training staff shaking his head saying, I am good. I am good. He's throwing his, he's throwing the uh, his giant coat, the, the giant uh, coat. He's pissed <laughs> off, you know, and, and Henny just marches him down the field for this score. And I think everybody uh, on that sideline in that stadium kind of took a collective sigh and, and kind of, you know, we're going to be okay. And Chad Henny's played a lot of ball. Oh yeah. The last time he, came to play it was in the divisional round two years prior when he had a huge fourth down conversion mm. uh to knock the cleveland browns out of the playoffs that's right so like again the, like the moment wasn't too big for him he's what she like again like such a cool customer came in and and delivered and uh 
all of that that, I, that we just talked about, like, that's a hard-ass situation, Pablo. <laughs> like, your first snap's on your own, too. Andy just called a pass play. Like, you haven't thrown a freaking – you haven't ran a play all year. Like, you've been taking scout team all year, right? And, like, to just go in that situation uh, to quiet all that noise in your head and to, like, lock in, you know, and, and again, just, like, to not blink and march it down the field and do your job and hold up your end uh, for the team – Right, like that, the epitome and and of the of that position, um, and and it, it's just so good, it's so great to see. But but it's worth noting that like Mahomes ends up coming back out yep. after halftime. He had he had made this pact uh, with the trainer, aforementioned, and the coach, yep. uh, and everybody. Where it's like, fine, I won't play. We'll get me checked out well enough to play in the second half, and. When he returns, and he's obviously hobbled, right? Um, he luckily has Travis Kelsey around. But I'm checking my notes here. And this was 14 catches, two touchdowns. I mean, we rave about him almost every time we talk about the Chiefs. It, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing that all of America knows that the ball is going to Travis Kelsey. And yet Travis Kelsey is always open. And so as America is yelling at their televisions, how the hell is this happening? What do you say to America? Again, you, you said it. He caught 14 of 17 targets. Like, that's absurd. Like, the whole, the whole world knows he's their best receiving threat, and he caught 14 of 17. In fact, he should have been 15 of 17 because he was wide open in the fourth quarter, and Patrick missed him on another play. But, like, how is this even possible? And when I say wide open, I mean, he was wide open at times. And Yes. Um. Yeah, it's just like it's it's unexplainable. Um, again, I it's, it's I. But you threw passes to Travis Kelsey yep. yourself. Yep. Mahomes backed you up, and you're telling me that not even you can explain this. Well, to he, us? he did, like well, if you look at all his passes again, we've gone into this whole the deep dive of the tight end. Like he has a lot. He has a a big leash when it comes to improvising on his routes, um, and he's earned a lot of that trust. But he just again like. He always knows. Like, I mean, he knows man's zone immediately. <laughs> he knows who's covering him. He knows their leverage. He knows the route he's running. He knows, okay, well, like, this is how I'm going to beat that leverage or beat that man. And then occasionally, even when, like, he's been, like, absolutely, like, stonewalled, like, by a great man defender who, like, didn't get let him get a release. He doesn't get open. But, like, half the time on those plays when you watch, Patrick's scrambling. And then at the last minute, Kelsey, like, breaks left and Patrick dots him, and it's a catch run for, like, nine yards. And you're like, <laughs> he literally, like, how did that just happen? And I think you also multiply that with the effect that when he plays with Patrick, he's kind of playing with his counterpart at quarterback. Like, here's a guy that also, right, deservedly has a long leash, gets to improvise, right? Like, and these two happen to be best friends, right? And, and not only on the field, but off the field. And so, like... You put those two things together, and this is what you get. You get, <laughs> you know, hey, I got a sprained ankle. Yeah, you, got a psychic, you got a psychic connection that overcomes an ankle yeah, injury. like it is. It is. It's like literally like they're like, it's like stepbrothers. It's like, you know, I got a sprained ankle, <laughs> Travis. Yes. I'm going to throw you the ball out here. Like, get open. Like, And they just have this knack. And um, it's it's cool. It's really cool to watch. We're obviously having fun with this. But, like, I do think it needs to be said. I can't tell you how many coaches 
would never let Travis Kelsey do what he does. Mm. I can't I can't tell you how many coaches would never let Patrick do what he does, right? Like they they have these playbooks and they've learned the way that it's supposed to look and this is how it's going to be done and this is how I want it done, Pablo. Like I want the route run like this. And I, and Patrick, I want your footwork to look like this. And like they put these guys in boxes and I think it's so refreshing to have a guy like Andy Reid who who totally checks his ego and it's like, hey, Patrick, you kind of want to drop back on orthodox? I'm cool with that. Like, and I'll work around that. And Travis, you want to run kind of funky routes, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm cool with that too. And I'm <laughs> gonna, I'm gonna try and use your strengths. Like, I, I I think it just it's it's an incredibly unique situation with all those guys, but especially those three. Well, the style you're describing, the other running subplot of our conversations about the Chiefs are us and you specifically finding yet more things that you hadn't seen before. Had you seen the one where he does the jump pass off of like the wrong foot to accommodate the ankle or? The jump pass, <laughs> I had, I had, no, I have. In the jump pass, he had, Patrick had a, just an unbelievable jump pass on the opening drive. Like it was unreal where he, Patrick has this ability to kind of like disconnect his hips and his shoulders. So like you're saying, he can jump off like the wrong leg, like, his hips and feet are pointed one way, but he can throw the ball and whip it like the complete opposite. It's like a very like Gumby-ish kind of yes. thing. And he has this, meanwhile, he's running up in the pocket and is about to get hit by like three guys. And he does this jump pass. And it was for a big third down conversion on their opening drive. And it was this like great And he was play. healthy with the ankle, like, yes. Meanwhile, yeah, with the healthy, like he's full go. And it's kind of like highlight real Patrick Mahomes. Like, yep. and it was kind of one of these plays where like, Oh, Jacksonville's gonna get mm-hmm. it today. Like he's feeling, he's feeling it. And then he gets hurt, right? And then the Chad anything, and then he's got the tape on his ankle. And like this guy can barely get away from center, you know, pushing off of this ankle. Well, meanwhile, I thought the play of the day was late in the second half. I think it was the fourth quarter. Chiefs driving. Here he is. He's got this bad ankle that he's kind of playing through. He's hobbling around out there. And they're in the red zone. And it's kind of this similar situation where he's he kind of comes stepping up in the pocket. And he <laughs> he tries this same jump pass, but he's got this bad ankle on his back leg. So he, you know, no offense to Patrick, the vertical wasn't very good. But <laughs> no. it's the same thing. He whips this ball into the back of the end zone and hits Marquez Valdez-Scantling for the touchdown in the second half. And it's really the touchdown that ended up obviously like kind of sealing the game. But he's doing it on a bad ankle. It was just, uh, it was incredibly gutsy. And, and not many guys, again, have the ability to do it, right? Like, hey, I can go play at 75% and it's still, it's still pretty oh, damn yeah. good. Like, I can I, change stylistically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And exactly. Like I'm not, I can't come scrambling around. I'm not going to go do all that. Uh, but you know, I can do enough and I can figure it out. And uh, pretty cool to see such a young player to be able to like adapt and do those things. Uh, I, again, obviously I think speaks to his uniqueness. And now he gets Joe Burrow. Right, And so this rematch of the AFC title game last year, which the Bengals won, by the way, 27 to 24, um, in a string of wins that the Bengals have had over the Chiefs. This is now three straight they've won, including in week 14, right? Also 27-24, symmetrically enough. What are you expecting to see in this one? Obviously, keeping in mind all the variables, ankles and all in play. Yeah, obviously, I'd be starting with. I hope Patrick gets gets healthy this week. And in, in, in this, yeah, ankles are one of these things, man. It could be, <laughs> I mean, ankles can be like three months, or they they can, you know, sometimes they can be a few days, and and you never know. Um, hopefully, it gets to a point where at least he can go out there and operate 
at a competitive level. But yeah, you said it. I mean, the Bengals won the last three. I think they've won 10 straight games at this point. They are red hot. Uh, they, they, they are not going to blink going into Arrowhead. They did it last year. Uh, they are going to be unfazed uh, by that and, and, and the aura that is the Kansas City Chiefs, which, by the way, <laughs> are hosting their fifth straight AFC championship game, Yep, something that's never been done in NFL history. We have to know. Like, that is so absurd that they're hosting five straight, not let alone go to five straight. Um, and so, you know, Cincinnati, like, they don't care. Wherever we play this game, we'll play you in Arrowhead, sure. And I think the one that's so fascinating with this that, like, I can't wait. Uh, not only are there just phenomenal players all over the field, mm. like there's going to be this great little chess match though with the coaches, right? Like uh, I, I think all these coordinators, like yeah, again, so Jack good. Taylor in this offense, Lou Anarumo on the defensive side, like he had such a great game plan against the Chiefs and countering them. Um, Spags, like in his own right, is like done such an amazing job, is like can bring pressure from anywhere. Certainly Andy Reid. So like it's it's also just like these phenomenal coordinators that again they've played a bunch they you know again they played each other earlier this year like they have great history i want to see i can't wait to see the the adjustments they make the tactical changes um cuz it, it i again i think it's going to be amazing um two of the best young quarterbacks like that we've seen in a long long time um that are that are both at the peak of their powers right now um going head to head so it'll be it'll be very very cool you know, it's funny, right? Like, I, it's a rivalry, but it's been one-sided. <laughs> like, this is a rivalry almost because we know and respect the Chiefs so much. But this is this is this is old hat to Cincinnati. Well, like, they're the only team that's done this, though. Like, I, I just like the Chiefs. Like I said, <laughs> they're they're hosting five straight AFC Championship games. Nobody's done this to them, Pablo. Like, nobody's beat them three straight times. Right. Nobody's owned like kind of owned them. Like the Bengals have. <laughs> Nobody's done this to to Patrick. So you know Patrick, you know Andy, you know all of these guys. What's it gonna be like this week as they prepare for that specific situation? Oh, they're I mean, they're locked in. They know it, right? Like they they got bounced last year. Uh let me tell you this. They they don't forget that that trophy they give out, it's the Lamar Hunt trophy, right? Like he's the guy that started the Chiefs franchise. Like he is uh, legend in Kansas City and in the organization, and rightfully so. Mm. And um, another trip to get back to the Super Bowl. Like again, I like I know this. I've talked to Patrick about this. I know Andy knows this. Like they know the reality of their window, right? And I and I, and they don't take it for granted. Um, and so I think they they have they they again they, there will be no lack of urgency uh, for them. A lot of people will be out there talking about the Bengals, especially off their last performance. So um, this is, again, I, like I said, kind of uncharted, ter uncharted territory for the Chiefs to be the underdog a little bit. Alex Smith, I cannot wait to talk to you after that game next week. Thank you for uh, spending your window on Sunday night with us again. Pablo, thanks, man. Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.